Hello and welcome to episode 8 of another architecture podcast. I'm George Bradley, architect and director of London-based studio Bradley van der Straten. And this podcast is for anyone who is interested in going behind the scenes of designing a house. I talk to architects from around the world about how they create inspirational places to live. In this episode, I talk to the Australian architect Nick Brunsden about his award-winning and soon-to-be-featured on Grand Designs Australia project, North Perth House. The project is a two-storey home built on an infill block in the city of Perth. The design of the house is based on a very simple structural arrangement of concrete precast panels with small and large arches cut out of them. Four of these panels are laid out on the ground floor and then a further four are stacked perpendicular on the first floor. This seemingly simple stacked design creates an interior that is incredibly rich and complex, with spaces defined by big concrete arches, beautiful oak joinery and really long views. We chat about how he created the design, what the house is like to live in and the experience of having the Grand Designs film crew following the construction. You can find out more about his work and the project at nickbrunsden.com and on the podcast Instagram. I hope you enjoy listening. Nick, hello and um, thank you for for joining me on um, the Architecture Podcast. Hi George, thanks for having me. It's a real honour. So... um, You've had quite a busy year with, um, we were talking about North Perth House today, um, and it was, I believe it was completed this year, but you've also had a film crew, you've had Grand Designs Australia following the build as well. Um, how was that, um, having a TV crew following your every step, every move? Um, it's been really, as a sort of a documentation process, it's wonderful. I haven't seen anything yet. Um, we just heard that the uh, the airing date got pushed back a year as well, so... Uh, we're not going to see it for a little while, but um, yeah, I don't know whether naively I thought that, um, you know, maybe because architects think they're the centre of everything, I thought that, um, you know, it was going to have a lot more to do with it, but um, no, it's, you know, we sort of, we just drifted in and out and obviously, you know, as, as Grand Designs is and as, you know, our service and our profession is, you know, is in the service of the client and the house and, you know, that was the sort of the central narrative and the storyline, the, the client and the builder and, um, you know, I guess we were kind of quite happy to sit on the periphery to that. And do you, do you think you got away with it? You didn't have one of those episodes where the architect gets caught out. <laughs> I don't know. You know, it's all in the edit. I, I think I think I get myself together, um, but you know, we'll see. I think there's a few people that must sometimes regret having ever said yes. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, don't know. I, I don't know. I'm 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 quietly optimistic for this one that we. Um, I think we. I think we get out. Pretty, pretty well, you got there because we've got the evidence of the house is complete and looking amazing. And also, congratulations on the recent AIA award as well for best house of the year. Um, Thank you. Um, yep, that's very kind. <laughs> um, if we just sort of could you sort of set the scene a little bit for the house in just in terms of, um, like you said, the clients are so essential to the whole process. How, how did this project start in, in terms of um, the people and them approaching you and what they were after? Um, started pretty traditionally. I was sort of, you know, one of three architects they interviewed. Um, they felt kind of a resonance or a comfort with me and, you know, we went ahead, um, you know, which is so nothing too different there. Um, but then it got down to, you know, I guess some of those harder conversations where, you know, you're in that early stage of <clears throat> talking hopes and dreams and ideas and, you know, what everything it could be. And, I always say these guys came to me with the best brief I'd ever been given, which is, you know, it was beautifully presented at touched on great references um and you know really clear and strong about what they wanted um but there was one thing that i knew that you know we had to kind of push back on or, or have a conversation on early and that was that they wanted a, a concrete house um similar to say like you know sort of inner city or inner urbanism you know sort of japanese kind of stuff and i knew that what they wanted in terms of in situ concrete and um that kind of outcome for their budget just wasn't going to work so um Basically, from day one, we knew we had to approach the design or the project with a strategy that still preserved the idea of a concrete, you know, tight, um, you know, highly designed urban project um, with concrete as the core of it, but still sort of, you know, kept true or at least respectful of the budget that we'd been given. Mm -hmm. And was that an aesthetic desire? They really liked the look of concrete. They kind of fell in love with the idea of the concrete house. Um, yeah, I think that's part of it. But um, I think I think they were also really well informed. Like they they could have, as clients, they could have very easily built, bought a larger block of land further out from the city, 
Um, but you know, they <clears throat> they are people that believe in the idea of you know of proximity and amenity, and you mm-hmm. know that big doesn't equal better. So they were happy to try and you know almost live this experiment of buying you know a smaller block of land that they thought they might be comfortable with for all the added benefits of connection, um, you know, essential services, lots, um, you know, lower commute times, um, connection to family, friends, you know, retail, mm-hmm. hospitality, all that sort of stuff. So I think that's where that Japanese urbanism precedence and references came in as well, you know, that kind of high-density living and, you know, what can be done, you know, high-impact, small footprint sort of stuff. Yeah. And this is an empty plot of land that they bought then? Yeah, it was constrained. Sub- subdivided um, into three and we sort of got this little bit of sort of landlocked to the north side and then on both sides by um, by housing uh, on the east and west. So the only uh, open face was to the south, about 230 square metre site. Yeah. And uh, I mean, when we come on to talk <clears> about the design, it, it definitely does seem like it's a design that's born out of a constraint in terms of it's quite a closed house in many senses, quite private. Mm. Is that because those buildings either side, it's, it's quite compact? Yeah, well, we just, we just didn't have space to move. You know, the, the whole site's basically 10, 11 metres wide. Um, so we kind of had to go zero lot, you know, just to kind of maximise it and get what we needed into it. Like once you put a double car garage in there, there's not much left over. Um, so, yeah, and I, I think the way we almost talk about it is like, <clears throat> you know, it, it, it sort of is a design that was born from the inside out. It was about wasn't really about sort of street-facing politeness or, um, you know, trying to deliberately, it, you know, it didn't deliberately try and stand out or deliberately try and fit in with the existing urban character. It was kind of about an internal amenity and that sort of then just became the driver and then, you know, whatever resulted from that, you know, that that was the house. Mm-hmm. That's interesting because I do think it's quite an incognito building. It doesn't It doesn't shout from the outside, but as you start kind of delving in, I mean, the spaces that open up from what seems like quite a relatively simple form, it's it's a rectangle, isn't it, the house? Two-story yeah, rectangle. It yeah, well, it's, and it's, then just it's, the, yeah, it's four panels on the ground floor and four panels on the, the first floor that turn 90 degrees, and that's it. Let's Can we talk about those panels? Because I think that's the, that's the key of this design, isn't it? And it clearly links to the solution to start with of making it a concrete but making it work to the budget um but you've got some amazing diagrams as well that almost show kind of like lego blocks how these (laughs) um these lines of concrete stack on top of each other yeah um can you talk about the sort of was there an aha moment of this is the solution and then that drove the whole design um yes there was i think i i don't know this is personally this 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 happens to me and it has happened to me only a couple of times in my career where almost kind of this divine enlightenment, like, and I, I don't know whether it's just purely, you know, that I've now been at this for 20 years and I've now seen a lot of things and mm-hmm. approached a lot of problems that sometimes the solution just kind of like arrives um, and it feels like, you know, kind of the hand of God into your brain. Um, and, you know, we, I hate to kind of, you know, like to, to simplify it and think that, you know, because it's such a sort of stereotype of, you know, that kind of that artistic inspiration sort of thing but um i've had it happen on a couple of projects now in my career and this was one of them and it's one of very few and every time it happens it's almost impossible to shift off that idea just because it's it's Mm. it's something where it's almost like your brain has this background processing unit where you put all the information in the front and then at some point it does its work without you kind of having to drive that process and something Mm -hmm. comes out and you know you sort of and I, it comes out from me by drawing, and you know, I think you may have even seen the diagram or the drawing I did of it, and that yes. was almost the first thing I drew. And I've never had a project that's basically that diagram, you know, that hand sketch became the diagram, which became the construction drawings, which became the build outcome. And you know, the mm-hmm. through line and the consistency and the fidelity to the idea was just so strong from from basically you know from the first minute of the project. So yeah, it's yes. it's been really. I, I sort of say architecture is kind of you know this stewardship or custodianship of old ideas um and you know and this was really that in that in that case yeah that's really interesting about the um like a lot of projects that that we do there's definitely we do things like we'll do options and we'll explore various ideas but mm. it's, as you say that that moment or those projects where that doesn't even need to happen it's just so kind of clear the clarity it's extremely satisfying do you think it's probably the closest we get to scoring a goal or something like that isn't it? in terms of career <laughs> maybe <laughs> like there's maybe. just there's just no one clapping when we do it uh, i i reckon it's almost like i think i compare it to like the kind of the idea of like if we're going with sports analogies of like that kind of flow state you know when people sort of talk about being in the yes. zone 
that's what I reckon yeah. it's like is when you, you're at a position in your career or with a project or just internally in your mind where this stuff can tick away and it can come to you and you don't feel like you have to kind of force it or add ideas or throw things at yeah. it or real, really kind of wrestle with it. It's like your brain is such a powerful tool and, you know, your career is full of so many experiences and, you know, we should be always trying to gain experiences and put things into that that help these filters and help these processes happen that, you know, when you're in that flow state, everything just kind of unlocks and, you know, mm-hmm. it just, it, you, you know, it's, 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 you know, the sports analogy of, you know, feeling in the zone is that's, to me, that's, this was one of those moments where I could, I could look back and go, that was, you know, it just happened like that. And at that yes. point, you know, then, then you have to tread carefully because, you know, we're so used to either, you know, clients, presenting clients with options and kind of going, could be this or it could be this or, you know, like, I, I, you know, here's what I've come up with. But, you know, if you don't like it, we could go this. You have to try and give it the respect it's due, which is, you know, that it's come from a place of real sort of purity and truth inside of you and, you know, professional talent and, um, and experience, but not also shove it down the client's throat, not kind of, you know, feel like, mm. uh, I don't know, it's, it's that that's, that's a, it's a hard balancing act of, of, you know, kind of being like, this is it, but trying to not force it in that way. And how did you present this one then? Was it a case I, of presenting? I can't going, really I've got remember. It, I've got it. All, all I remember was I was pacing around the office and the my staff were just looking at me, just kind of going, "You're never like this." I'm like, "Oh shit!" You know, I must, I must be really nervous about this. And you know, the fact that it's kind of, <laughs> I must, yeah, I must have known, you know, that that I must have known that it was going to be special, or knew that it had come from a good place, and that I was just hoping that they could feel that. And was it an instant? connection no, for them. No, not at all. <laughs> so what happened, and this is part of the fun of it, is um, so the clients are both from, um, they're both second generation, third generation um, migrant families um, from Italy and Greece. And so the uh, the wife, uh, Cassie, had, um, had grown up in a kind of a middle ring suburban brown brick house that had arches all the way through it. And yeah. so the first thing she saw when she saw the arch was like, was like oh, God, you know, you've given me my, my childhood home back, um, which, <laughs> you know, they, they're a young couple starting out in the world trying to make a name for themselves, you know, defining themselves, you know, away from their family mm. units as, the, you know, as their own kind of identity. And I'd kind of, you know, inadvertently tied them back to their heritage and to their, you know, to their, fa- to their family lives. Um, so yeah, there was kind of a, they, they had to take it and go away for a week and, and sort of sit with it and try and come to a place of comfort. And, um, they did, they did, they came back and went, look, you know, we see it, we get it, let's go with it. And then it ended up becoming this really nice kind of idea of, um, of kind of a spatial history of, you know, actually leaning into the idea of, of heritage and, um, you know, not just, you know, family or bloodline heritage, but, you know, kind of like built heritage and you know, mm-hmm. spatial heritage and um so there were, we actually ended up taking things like um light fittings that had come out of her her family's um house that had all these arches in it or you know other um and actually reusing them through this house so the the pendant light over the stairs is from her grandma's house the lights in the bedroom are from her grandma's house as well so you know in, instead of being something that was kind of like a bit of a um i guess an awkward moment it actually became something we ended up celebrating yeah it's a nice connection um it's a, i'm half italian and my uncle recently just sent me a picture of a, an apartment he's buying he's downsizing um and it's a modest it's nothing special it's in need of renovation it's all sort of done in the 70s mm. but it's got all these features that are all the things we're designing now for houses oh, in London. No. So it's got it's got the arched doors it's got amazing terrazzo yeah. floors and to him it's like yeah you know it's all right it could do the look of paint and i'm yeah, like hang and, on and, and, <laughs> and he'd probably be looking to take all that stuff out of it that you know, it <laughs> yeah. come back into it's like i think if we all if we all wanted to be like design chic we just just go move to the suburbs i think it's already all there <laughs> <laughs> um can you describe can you help visualize this idea of these four fins um that you've described the the, the main structural elements of the of the concept and of the the house yeah sure um so what Maybe, yeah, I guess I've helped visualise, but also just a bit of the thinking behind it. So um, because, you know, I sort of had to tell them that I didn't think we could do an in-situ concrete house, we then moved to um, the idea of it being a precast or tilt slab. So um, we made these these panels off-site and brought them into site, and so the whole thing was erected in 48 hours. But the idea of using this quite industrial or commercial construction system um, in a residential application, I thought um, 
it kind of needed some softening. And so that's where the idea of the arches came to sort of, you know, give it this sort of human or intimate, um, you know, scale. So more than being, you know, this sort of technique is more usually seen in like large industrial warehouses. So mm-hmm. to, to bring it to this scale, I thought, you know, it needed to do something or, you know, just, just have some, <clears throat> some sort of treatment or um, shaping that, you know, that talked to the human scale and the residential. And that's where the arches came from. So, there are only two types of arches in the whole house, and again, that was about a cost efficiency and a, and a build efficiency. Um, so the ground floor arch and the the first floor. I'm um, sorry, the ground floor panel and the first floor panels. And the ground floor panel has what we call a pedestrian arch and a grand arch. And the first floor panels has a pedestrian arch and two grand arches, and they're always in the same place on each of the arches. Mm-hmm. So basically, there's only two types. And then the game is about how close are they to each other to create rooms. You know, what do you move through? Um, you know, so the penetrations are always the same. The arches are how you move, you know, laterally through the building and how you get light in and also then they become these key moments. So like a kitchen is touched, tucked underneath one of the arches. Um, the arch becomes a sunshade on the north face on the ground floor. They become these, <clears throat> a robe uh, on the on the first floor or the windows um, that become filled with translucent panels on the first floor as well. So, um, yeah, it was really, it's kind of fun, you know, like I think we always say like um, uh, well, like discipline is freedom or constraints are freedom. Like, you know, you mm. always think as an architect that you want like, you know, a big site and an unlimited budget. But the more, you know, um, restrictions that you can put in place or obstructions, sort of I guess the freer you can become with things because you know, you know less, you know, there's it just cuts down a lot of things so you actually can innovate more in what's left. And I guess that's what mm. the, these, these panels did or this, this, you know, design strategy did. And these panels are effectively a grid, aren't they? Like if somebody got, say, four matches, laid down four matches parallel to each other and then another four stacked on top of them but in the opposite direction, yeah, that's, effect- that's, that's so, effectively what you've done. Yeah, and the, the idea being that it just, you know, it gives it structural stability, you know, that you kind of, the whole thing, it basically stands up by itself because there's notching as well, so it just kind of sits and locks on top of each other. So gravity yeah. is doing a lot of the work. Um, yeah, so the, the ground floor ones run east-west and just run sort of, you know, um, perpendicular to the street back and they kind of demarcate layers of privacy so at the front you've kind of got the entry in the garage and then you get moving further back and you start to get the, the kitchen and the laundry and a little work, welcome station then as you get further back you get the living dining and the private yard at the rear and on the mm-hmm. first floor they turn 90 degrees and they then so then they're sort of running north south and sort of funnel views to get north light and also view south back to the city and you know again they sort of um yeah, I don't know. So, again, you move laterally through them, but that 90 degrees, you know, locks it in place and gives you structural stability and, yeah, sort of just does all that work for you. So they're not going to sort of drop like a pack of cards. There's nothing <clears throat> else essentially that needs to go in there to hold this. There's a little up. bit of steel bracing, but, you know, the whole mm-hmm. just to kind of to stop racking on that on that first floor or on the ground floor. But, you know, it's, it's you know, it's just... So racking racking's like... D- uh, so right, yeah, you're racking. So like, yeah. you know, if it kind of started tilting or falling into each other, but um, but no, it's it's heavy and strong and stable and gravity held and um, you know, it's you know, it's a as I said, it's a commercial industrial technique. You know, it's not getting knocked over anytime soon. And then these are answering quite a few things from the brief. These these um, what are we calling them slabs? The slabs of the arches yeah. is they've got they're made out of concrete, and you just you use that, you express that as an internal finish so it's it's kind of ticking the box in terms of cost as in it's it's a very smart economical use yeah. of cost. well that's you know i think i think the whole point of being a good architect is trying to do the most with the least and um mm-hmm. and that's what this does you know it's a, instead of using the concrete made off site means we can control the quality we can control the timing we bring it to site we erect the whole thing in 48 hours all the next trades that come in they're not having to measure they just know that they're going between that wall and that wall Super simple, um, you know, there's no finishing required, you know, as it arrived on site is how it is now. So there's no second and third finishing or trades that have to come in to do that mm-hmm. that work. Um, yeah, and, you know, it's just kind of, it's a lot, you know, nice natural finish and patina and it does, you know, a lot of that kind of the aesthetic work we, we needed to do and just, you know, and then just deliberately keeping the material palette restrained so that each of these mm-hmm. items or moments that we've really put thought into, you know, becomes um, pronounced. And you described them. I like the way they're called pedestrian arch and um, was it living arch? The uh, grand one, grand the, arch, grand yeah. arch. So the the pedestrian one is a, is kind of width of a generous door and heights with with an arch above it. Yeah, spot on. And then yeah. the grand arch 
what about three four meters in, in uh, about length? two points oh sorry in length yeah about four meters and about two point on the yeah. ground floor it's about 2.6 and on the first floor it's about 2.2 high and then as we go through the house they're gonna they appear everywhere don't they i mean the very distinctive kitchen but even on the facade in terms of glazing as well that's right um, yeah yeah. yeah, but, you know, again, it wasn't about just throwing them everywhere. It was, you know, that there's one panel type and that's where they go. So, you're always expecting them in the same place. And, you know, the pedestrian arches line up. So, on the, when you enter the house, you've got just this kind of run or this parallel, you know, this sort of, I guess, what do you call it? Um, just foreshortening. You know, you get a, few, a full view line. Opening the front door, you can see from the, 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 the edge of the block to the other end of the block because the, that's the mm-hmm. pedestrian arches all lining up. Then when you get to the first floor, you get the same thing. You get it lining up, um, running east-west. So, you know, it's um, it's by no means, um, you know, kind of uh, not thought through or um, haphazard. Mm. You know, it's um, they just they are where they are. There's something about the layers that, just as you're describing it then, that reminds me a little bit of theatre sets, you know, where they have the flies. <clears> the, <throat> there's the famous Palladian one in Vicenza in Italy where you get these these layers that yeah. where actors can come out sort of between them and the house very much feels like that oh, yeah, when they're right. running from front to back. I haven't heard that before. Really... That's, a, that's a good one. Yeah. And yeah. we actually talked about theatre a lot. Like if you if you see that image of the kitchen tucked in, we kind of talked about that as being almost like the stage, you know, and you're sort of you're, you're hidden yeah. like almost behind, you know, the stage curtain and that that's like you're there and like the kind of life is happening in front of you and, you know, you're sort of like yes. on stage watching it or, you know, that's actually the crowd looking back into the kitchen. And, you know, it was always yes. the idea of the kitchen was the first place you sort of arrived at when you entered the house and, you know, the idea that the kitchen is sort of, you know, the heart of the home and the place where all, you know, the most important and least important conversations happen and, you know, that that's sort of, yeah. you know, that's the hub of the place. I like that the the kitchen and the stage. I, mm. I've never really thought about it before, but as a kid, like everywhere in in a house, you'd recreate as something of a sort of performance space, and mm. um, maybe that's just something in all of us that. Um, but I think be- the best houses have these elements where you can imagine kids would use a certain part as a stage set. It's a very natural because we don't have the hearth anymore. Oh, yeah, right, and the fireplace yeah, is yeah. the focus, and um, yeah, right. Nice um, that's a that's a lovely description actually of that kitchen. Okay, let's take a bit of a, a walk through the house because um, there's so many things. We've talked about the layers and there's so many things that reveal themselves and there's recurring themes. So these these arches come back in every space, but in every space they're completely different. But let's start at the entrance because we talked before about it. It's a fairly incognito house. What do we see? What's When are we first introduced to sort of hints of what's going to be happening inside? Um, well, at the entrance, as you sort of said, from the, the, the outside you, you read that first panel that faces the street and you get the pedestrian arch you enter into that pedestrian arch and you're in this kind of entry vestibule where you're not inside and you're not outside yet but you have a view up and you're seeing the sky um, but you're kind of a bit protected um, from the street so you're starting to come into the world of the house Um, at that point you open the front door and then you walk in you're in this entry gallery which is a double height void um, and that's where sort of you see the panels above overlapping the panels below and you start to read actually what's going on with the house and it all starts to sort of slowly reveal itself. Um, but we thought that was important to kind of create that sense of, well, you know, grandness. I keep saying it's like a small, it's a small house with high civic ambitions. Like it could just as easily, mm-hmm. some of those photos could easily just be like, you know, a, an art gallery or something or, you know, yes. some kind of. Yeah, a library. As- yeah, or some kind of big institutional building or a library mm-hmm. or something. Um, and, you know, as I said before, it's it's a, it's small, you know, it's a 230 square metre site and the house is under 200 square metres. So, you know, with, I think, you know, you needed to get a lot of kind of spi- spatial dynamics going on or just, you know, different experiences, you know, height, light, material, um, you know, I guess, you know, small, compressed, high, washed, you know, dark and intimate, you know, really bright. So that that's mm-hmm. sort of, we were, we're really just trying to kind of, you know, work with that spatial sequencing so that you kind of you're really starting to put layer and layer of different experience on top of itself rather than just you know kind of like arriving receiving it all it being a bit of a one-liner you know we really like that idea yeah. of a slow unraveling or just you know like you starting to piece together the story of the house and the idea but it not all being apparent straight away yeah and so when you go through do you see 
do you get one perspective all the way through the pedestrian arches from front yeah, to back? Yeah, so the house? O- on opening the front door, you can basically see the, the, the back fence. Um, there's an idea to put like almost a, um, a Barcelona pavilion, uh, like a Mesian or you know, a kind of a sculpture yeah. at that point to kind of just talk about that being that sort of visual axis or that, you know, that kind of magnet idea. So you get that long view with the height above you. Um, and you're obviously drawn to move down and through that sort of, that's a little gallery space you arrive in to begin with. And as you move down, the slab then drops down a couple of steps. So you're actually getting more height in your space. Right. Um, straight ahead is the laundry and you actually could walk straight through the laundry, but you don't see it because it's kind of tucked behind a wall. Um, and then you, you chuck a right and that's after you go past the welcome station, there's a little hidden, um, powder room in there as well. And then that's where you arrive basically at that island bench and you're in the living, dining, kitchen space. Um, so the, the, the ceiling height there is a bit greater. You've got the arch with the kitchen tucked underneath it and then uh, a bank of doors all facing north to a northern garden. And you just, sorry, you just use a term, the welcome, um, I think quite welcome fully station. touched it. <clears throat> um, just kind of like a little piece of joinery or a place where you can put your shoes or your keys or your wallet. You yes. Know, like as, you know, basically... As you're coming off the street and you want to, like, you know, uh, decant yourself of all the things that are in your yeah. pockets and, you know, whatever else. So, you know, like to be ready to sit on the couch or do whatever. Yeah. Um, just a little place that, you know, like holds all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it was a place that we, we sort of designed in where you can put your shoes and drop your keys. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's probably also where the piles of letters that you don't open, a, you know, that's where that pile <laughs> piles up. <laughs> I like I like the name for it, the welcome station, because I think it's the nest- essential missing component of so many houses yeah it's really started um, to become um prevalent in a lot of the multi-res work we're seeing in australia you know knowing that that's actually yeah. kind of like a really important little functional piece that helps you know kind of it's like where you hang your coat um yeah where your keys live uh you know just all, all that kind of stuff you know rather than just being like on the kitchen table or on the kitchen bench or you know who knows down yeah. the back of the couch and um can we talk about this? One of my favourite spaces of this house is the stair, um, where this beautiful long stair comes up. There's a lovely curving balustrade, which kind of has a nod then to the curves of these arches as well. But then also a really distinctive, one of the grand arches is filled with um, timber bookshelves yeah. and, the, uh, and, and the landing alongside the stair runs along these bookshelves. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about this space, the thinking behind the design and what was important to you about this part of the house the key sort of circulation part um yeah well i think as you see, it was actually about trying to make you know on a small small space it was about trying to make circulation work hard so you know that it's not just kind of lost space so that space you're talking about it's actually fronting the bookshelf um so it's actually kind of like almost like the library um but actually where that photo if you're talking about that photo if you think the one i think you're thinking about your back's actually standing in the study so that study space um, is again, it's kind of part of the circulation, but it's also um, nicely separated, connected to the mm-hmm. library and adjacent to the master bedroom and also having has views back south over the city. So you get diffused light, all, diffused light all day, but you also can look down to the entry so you can see who's coming and going from the house. So, um, yeah, to me it was kind of like, yeah, it's, it's trying to make every space work hard, but also, you know, that, that becomes this quite celebratory area where you have you know you've got the void on one side you've got the stair next to it with the the ground floor stair being solid concrete the first floor to roof deck stair being open tread and you know quite light steel mm-hmm. and above that being a skylight and the idea being that with that skylight it's almost like a kind of a, um, a spaceship hatch you know it just sits as a skylight mm-hmm. but it's on um, high powered hydraulics so you can press a button and it tilts open and then you, that's how you get out um, onto the roof deck so we've got lovely like light coming from above washing down over all of that space and i, I suppose that's where you actually start to read all the different things that are going on um in yes. in, in, the, in the in the design of, of that house where what we also did was when you arrive at the top of the stairs you actually then stand on top of the panel of the ground floor below you we set we set all the first floor timber flooring down so it was on the same level of the concrete panel so you're always reading the tops of those panels and reading the spatial diagram like into the spaces you're walking around so you're standing there you're Mm -hmm. standing on top of the like the the kitchen panel below looking across into the void reading the timber that sort of does this what's called like the louis khan bangladeshi parliament thing where you start when you don't use a full arch you fill it in with something and this is where the timber sort of Mm -hmm. cheese wedge fills in to sort of complete the balustrade and then across from that is the the polycarbonate that um, 
that is actually two sheets of polycarbonate with an insulating layer inside of it as well to bring this really nice kind of like soft light in from the east and the west. And here in Perth, Western Australia, we have really, really hard, you know, harsh sun. So you have to sort of moderate yes. and, and modulate that as best you can. And so having that, that they, you know, they just turn into these glowing pink and orange and red orbs, you know, as the sort of the sun rises or the sun sets and that comes through the house as well. So you just get these just quite amazing moments as sort of time moves on through the day and is the polycarbonate use so these these polycarbonate windows they're they're semicircles that you see yep. on the outside of the building mm. um and yes i completely understand in terms of about the sun is there also an element of privacy that's required or is it purely to control sun that you've used polycarbonate oh uh, no it's, it's 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 privacy um it's yeah we're we're quite pretty close to the boundary there and um our building regulations or planning regulations say that you can't have large windows you know that close to a boundary for overlooking and you know visual privacy to neighboring properties um plus you know we we just thought we liked the whole point of that you know as you got upstairs and the panels turning 90 degrees and just basically prioritizing the north and the south view um that's where you actually got those long views you got an opportunity because the buildings pulled back to pull in north light and then you get opportunities for those long views to the south of the city. So, yeah, for, for us, it, you know, it was, it was about, as I said before, doing less but doing it better. So, you know, we didn't really need windows everywhere. You know, the windows, the bedrooms are basically at the, at the ends, either the north or the south end of that first floor. Mm-hmm. So they've got, the, they've got those big windows looking either north or south and, you know, that's enough. And they also, so it's two bedrooms upstairs. The house, uh, three bedrooms. Three. And some of those bedrooms, they overlook double height spaces that look down to the ground floor as well. Is that right? Or is that um, circulation spaces? The, the two bedrooms to the north have a little um, sort of gather space at the top of the stairs that I say is kind of yep. like almost acts as a de facto laundry chute. Like you can walk out and piff your dirty clothes down into the laundry <laughs> below that. through there. Yeah. Um, nice. Yeah. But, you know, no, that, they, they don't. They don't look in. No, they, you look into the spaces. You sort of you go to them, but the bedrooms themselves don't look down into them. Right. Yeah. So the laundry chute is literally you could. It's just a void to below, and you could just drop you laundry yeah, down. Exactly. You could throw it down. <laughs> yeah. Don't have to bother with the stairs. No. Um. So I said before about one of my favourite spaces being the stair. My actual favourite favourite space is the uh, kitchen. I mean, it's it's just such a beautiful kitchen, and it's the sort of defining. Um, image i think of this property because mm. it's you know kitchens are so familiar to us but this is such a different kitchen because it's set inside yep. an arch so the the whole main kitchen run is un- underneath a curving grand arch of concrete um and it's clad in is it oak is that the timber that you've used uh, it's american black walnut but it was just to try yeah, right, we so just want we just liked it like the idea of a sort of a dark brown as an offset against the concrete um, and, and I just think the, the kitchen is the space where the forms and the concept of the shapes all comes together, but also the concept of this material palette of being kept um, really simple. Um, can you talk a little bit about um, the design of this kitchen? Yeah, sure. Um, as I kind of said before, it was, you know, the idea that this kitchen, well, it has an island bench and the island bench is, is sort of that, that arrival space where, um, you know, you welcome people in, you stand around, you know, you have coffee, you have a chat debrief on the day as i said have all the the least important and most important conversations um uh and you know it sort of had that really hard working function but um so it's kind of got like a public face but then all the cabinets sort of sort of recede back and sit in kind of the darkness mm-hmm. um underneath that arch and so you it's almost like a big u-shape with the kitchen with the island bench sitting in the middle of that u-shape and you know we've got a pantry and a fridge on one side sorry a pantry on one side a fridge on the other side all the appliances on on the back edge of it um all just you know in one timber but you know kind of quite well articulated so that you know you know where everything is and it all works quite functionally well but um yeah if you if you turned yourself around 180 degrees from where that photo is you're then looking out to the north so you actually have kind of bright yeah you know direct light that comes in from that point so again you know trying to kind of create uh enough of a, a differentiation between you know like rather than all being kind of at the one volume the whole time you've got kind of a dark recess with a, a bright you know external mm-hmm. um outlook so yeah I, I think i think that's 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 the thinking there and you know as you said the kitchen kind of you know become becoming this sort of defining image of it is as is exactly as you said we all know what you know we all know a kitchen and this looks like a kitchen but it doesn't look like a kitchen that we've seen before and and it's not 
through deliberately trying to make something look different. It's just that that's that's mm. the design of the house, and that's you know, as I said, that design, that strategy, you know, follows through down to every detail, and you know, even as much as you know, all the kitchen handles are actually cut out semicircles that you know become the finger pulls and that sort of thing. And I guess maybe the the other thing to talk about here in Australia, we have this much loved building, the um, the National Gallery of Victoria, which is um, done by Robin Boyd. And it's got this entry moment, which is just this big, heavy um, bluestone building, massive. But the way you enter it is underneath this semicircle, this arch, and it's got a water mm-hmm. wall behind it. And it's, you know, kind of that experience of walking under this semicircle and into that building. Like anyone who's a Melbourneian or anyone who's visited Melbourne and been to that building, like, knows and remembers that. And this kind of has a few of those kind of echoes, which is, yeah, that's why I kind of call it like the grand arch, like that kind of grand gesture, but at the small residential scale. Like, you know, it's a, it's a small home with civic ambitions. Mm-hmm. Did you find as you were getting more into the sort of detail that you talked about kitchen handles and that sort of um, level of detail, um, that you'd set yourself some restrictions by having this concept, by having this grid and these arches, you've then created limitations and out of limitations comes the best creativity. But did you find any real challenges when you did start having to fit in practical aspects like the kitchen and things and working with these arches that were holding you back? Or did it did that flow of concept just continue seamlessly all the way through? Good question. It's um the answer's both equally, as in it was practically mm-hmm. very difficult. Like we had a lot of you know, even though I said the concept came, you know, very early and easily, from that point on it was about just, you know, like we had moments where we'd be moving one of the panels, I don't know, like 30 mil or 20 mil, you know, in one direction so that the stair might become a little bit bigger, which might give a little bit more yeah. to the gallery space, which might, you know, give a bit more that we needed for that boundary wall to get the insulation in there, which, you know, would give a bit more to the, what, you know, it, it became this constant minimal juggling, shuffling kind of act of just, you know, small refinement the whole way through um just you know to to get the pragmatics right but then you know i said the overarching design idea and philosophy that just ends up making all those you know those smaller ideas um and decisions really easy um you know in terms Mm. of how you do whatever it is kitchen cabinets or front doors or whatever else it becomes you know the the material palette's simple the detailing then becomes simple and so on you know it maintains focus that's right yeah and you know it's without yeah. without kind of being this kind of i don't know where it's what the word is like not omnipresent but sort of you know um you know uh megalomaniac or you know kind of where you're having to sort of you know touch everything and make it all you know sing um but you know it's just it's just enough you know enough that kind of you yeah know, like we again we didn't spend a lot of money on well we didn't do a lot of like built-in or custom joinery but where we did we did it right and we did it well and you know Again, like I didn't, we didn't have to design all the furniture of the place. The clients got wonderful taste, and they um, they were wonderful with all the the interior selections and furnishing, and you know, helping us, you know, sort of make it push it towards the vision. Um, yeah, so you know, like it's is there's, there's got to be enough space for them, you know, to come in. They, they, I don't want mm. them living, you know, in my head or in my vision. You know, there has to be enough personal personalization <laughs> available. And what's the feedback been like from them since they've moved in? Um, well, they love it, which is great. Um, and you know, a few, yeah, a few. It's been, <laughs> it's, it's been, it's been, it's been. You know, we've been like all builds. You know, nothing ever goes smooth. So there's a few, you know, a few things that we're still dealing with or just touching up. But that's um, that's just life. You know, that's just the life of an architect. Yeah. As no different to any other project that you know that I'm sure you've done or I've done or we all do you know it's um we get it there in the best possible state we can and you know then just keep keep an eye on it and keep monitoring and keep reviewing it as, as it goes um but no you know it's there it's been a long and difficult process for them they've you know it we, we got caught in planning for a long time um mm-hmm. uh probably not a long time for uk standards but for over here um and you know they they've just had a they've got a young kid and they were living with their parents to you know sort of try and well yeah. money or you know just make it easy for them to move in when it was ready so they're only really just starting to find their feet and you know get the full enjoyment they've only been in for six months and you know that six months has been unpacking boxes and working out what goes where and you know how to live in it so they haven't had one full you know kind of turn around the sun yet have there been any kind of interesting insights from them of their experience because they'll have a much greater experience 
than you. You know, mm. you put all this time <clears throat> in designing it, but they're, they're there at seven in the morning at a certain light or yeah. at certain temperatures when it's cold and whatever it might be. Well, most interesting as well with COVID here that, you know, switching to work from home, that little study space we designed, you know, actually became very, very useful and necessary. Yeah. Like um, the, the clients, um, the husband, Angelo, he was... Um, yeah, he was working from home from there and, you know, he, he told me it was great. You know, he's kind of separated enough from the family but connected enough that he could kind of hear and click into conversations when he needed to but also tune out when he needed to. So that's been really nice to hear that that's been working well. Um, and, you know, I think COVID being stuck in a house like that, you couldn't complain too much. Yeah. It's interesting about the study. I was thinking that when we were talking about mm. it earlier. Of, it's very much an architect thing, I find, of... Um, you know, putting in study spaces that are kind of borrowed spaces, like at the top mm. of the stair landing yeah. or underneath stairs or to the side of the house, various little pockets of space. Um, but often they, I've found in our experience anyway with houses, they've been sort of us led and yeah. not necessarily been a priority. <clears throat> Whereas now everybody is obviously asking for study space and it's a good, I think it's inspiring though with this property is a good, good example of it. The study space doesn't have to be another room in the house. It doesn't mm. have to take up what would be a valuable, you don't have to use up a bedroom for it. No, well, not, nothing like well a global designed. Pandem- yeah. pandemic to sharpen everyone's focus. <laughs> you don't want to yeah, what you need. Yeah. Um, yeah, and what, you know, is there, what do you sort of think about the house now on reflection after you've gone through that um, process? Like what's, what do you most kind of happy with of about the design um i just think it's been it's been one of those moments you live for in your career which is a client who's just um unreservedly backed you in you know just constantly you know even through the bill just you know like constantly just like checking and going nick is this you know do you think we should go this way or this way do you like this you know what, yeah. what do you think and, you know, then just also just buying into the vision and, you know, like they've furnished it beautifully. They've got one like amazing taste and just smashed it out of the park with how they, you know, they kind of are living in it and with it. Um, a great builder as well. Um, there's a relationship between the builder and the client. The builder was actually um, the client's brother and and actually right. father. So they they were, um, they had, a, they bought a building company and this kind of became their project that they came in to it yeah. with. So there was a, a you know um, a really nice kind of connection there as well. You know, there's kind of just love and care that went into every step of the way. Like, you know, um, you know, on on builds and with projects, there's so many opportunities where you can get to a point of friction with each other, and you know, either mm. lose that relationship forever, or you know, completely, you know, who knows what can happen for there. And you know, where I'm still, you know recommending these guys and putting these guys forward for you know all, all my future projects and you know things that i'm trying to do so you know it's been it's been really really nice um having that kind of relationship with you know both the client and the builder and you know just moving together without any question of you know of design fidelity and quality the whole way through you know it's always been you know what what does this building need rather than you know like whatever other question it might be so it's been it's been it's been a very very um yeah rewarding experience were they on board right from the outset with the idea of these concrete panels and the client you know or the sometimes builder? they can be the idea the builder because sometimes there can be this idea of oh we'll do this and this will save money and then a builder you know might come in and go well not really and um how did you find that because that's that's that concept is just as important to sell to the person yeah. building it as it was no, to no, the client, they're to- totally on board um you know they they they've been they've been they they see these kind of buildings as the future of their building company, so they were just you know totally um mm-hmm. totally bought in. You know they they this is their this is the thing they're going to ha- hang their hat on and say you know this is what we can do and this is what we want to do. You know so you know kind of interesting, innovative, you know um you know designed spaces. And there's there's borrowable borrowable concepts from this house, isn't That's there? That's right. In terms yeah. Of this idea of the panels and yeah, or you know. Um, who knows or whatever or just showing that you know you can live live well um on you know small blocks and small spaces you know that you don't need yes 300 350 square meters on a 600 square meter block to have you know quality of life you know actually you might have a higher quality of life in a in a smaller space that's more highly connected the design design is the differentiator you know it's actually not about quality quantities of things in terms of size or you know or space or whatever it is you know Design is a thing that really, you know, gives you that quality of life. Um, I'm going to turn the focus on to you and your home now. Okay. Um, yep. 
because <clears throat> um, it's always interesting to sort of find out a bit about that side. But um, one of the questions I ask all my guests is, um, what's the one thing that really annoys you in your home? Um, yeah, okay. So maybe background. I'm currently renting. I've got a block of land in the next suburb over that we're trying to build a house on. And if I was still answering for that house, it'd be nothing because it's going to be great. But the house I'm living in currently, <laughs> the house I'm living in currently, it's um, it's the thing that drives me mad about everything. It's just orientation. The orientation is just completely balls up. Um, it's an old sort of, well, not old, it's the 60s, um, sort of almost California bungalow. But in Western Australia, we have a lot of these kind of things with sort of small windows, horrible um, horrible thermal performance. Um, like we sit in there in the middle of, you know, winter on a warm day and it's freezing and in the middle of summer it's cold too. So it's just, it's pointed the wrong way. There's no opportunity for natural light to get in to warm places up. There's no opportunity to open windows and let things blow, blow through. You'd, you'd sort of know that's sort of the very mm -hmm. deco floor plan where it's sort of, um, you know, small rooms, not kind of, you know, with large distances between them. So you can't kind of get that cross ventilation or that breeze. But obviously, you know, our climactic conditions here in Western Australia are very different to what they might be in the UK. Mm -hmm. But here it's about getting sunny in winter and letting the breeze through in summer. But if you got your hands on it, if you owned it, I'm sure you could uh, work something on it to resolve I it. I think I'd rather just build my own place. <laughs> <laughs> um, and if you could describe one home that's, that you've visited or even that you've lived in that's really inspired you and made you feel happy, um, what home would you describe? Yeah, that, that would be, it's kind of the counterpoint to this, was just this little studio apartment that um, I lived in for five years on the beach in Cottesloe down here. Um, it was only 60 square metres, um, one bedroom that was kind of connected to a living room, but it was just facing north, full glass, um, short plan. You could open up the windows on both sides. And I think for the five years I lived there, I think we turned the heater on three times and we didn't have an air conditioner. And I'm living in Perth, and Perth is a very, very hot city. And But mm -hmm. we have this thing called the Fremantle Doctor that comes in at about, you know, lunchtime every, every day, especially in summer or over the hot season. And that just blows and cools everything down. So if you can open your house up and get that cooling breeze through, um, you know, you're, you're fine. But so through summer, you know, like the house never got warmer than I'd say, you know, 25 degrees, even if we're having 40 mm -hmm. degree days. And in winter, just with that full northern glass, you know, you'd walk in and it'd feel like you'd have the heater on all day, but like it a really just beautifully like, you know, a comfortable temperature again, like, you know, 23, 24, never kind of cold never shivering never had to put like extra layers on it was just it just i don't know if this sounds naive or stupid you know through university you just always hammered in you know i'm sorry i'm saying you know very antipodean here you know north light when you know for your your case yeah. south, south light you know, hammered in you know point north point to north and you're like yeah yeah sure but you know i want to make my building look cool um living in this living in this place just totally just consolidate or solidify all of that for me it's just that's that's number one yeah. anything everywhere you do get it right get north yeah yeah there's a lot in the press at the moment cause people you know with covid and looking to move more to the country and there's a lot of advice on how much is it worth having a south-facing garden what's the premium to pay on a property oh, and, um, and i think it's actually it's almost immeasurable like you know we see yeah. all sorts of problems in our suburbs with um you know mental health and um and you know, I think a lot of that actually just comes from not being connected to the celestial sphere, to not being connected to mm. the sky, not being connected to natural light hitting your skin. There's a lot of places where you mm. open the door and you just you'll never actually even see the sky because we have eaves to eaves development. You know that you just don't act like that hits a mm. fence and you you'll never see blue, or you know that your your living room will never have a bit of like natural sunlight get in and just touch you or whatever. So. We're living in these hermetic boxes that aren't connected at all to our natural environment or to our natural world, and I think that it's to the detriment of our mental health and our physical health. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I just think that that stuff's actually, like, completely immeasurable, um, you know, in terms of what quality that brings to your life. Um, right, you now get to choose anybody you like to design you a new home. Um, if you could choose anybody, I'm sure you're not going to choose anybody for for this plot of land that you've got. I'm sure you're going to be designing it yourself. But if you could choose anybody, who would you choose? Uh, it's really good. Um, I, I'm i going to assume that I'm building a beach house because I'm building my own house at some point in the future soon and I sort of know what I want for that. So I'm going to go with a guy called Andrew Geller who operated in um, New York and Long Island sort of in the 60s or 50s or 60s. And it's a book I picked up and it's someone – I've never heard his name called or checked. I'm not trying to be – 
I don't know, weird about this, but um, he's, you know, we're trying to be, I don't know, we're, we're, you know what I'm trying to say. Um, um, it's just there's this real simplicity and naivety to the way he built his buildings and did his buildings that were, I guess, maybe have um, similarities to the North Perth house, which was it was really just about structural simplicity but then kind of formal playfulness and expressiveness. Like he built these buildings that looked like, kites or big a-frames or cats or lighthouses but it was just you know light frame timber construction super cheap but like highly expressive bold strong forms but just and then the interiors are like so no frills but really relaxed and maximizing every single little nook and cranny of space that in some point points it almost looks like living on a boat but you know with this connection to light and nature and the coast and mm-hmm. you know that kind of real um I don't know, that, that natural condition of, you know, sort of living on the edge, you know, of, you know, you've got the land meets the water and, you know, where anything can happen. And I think anything did actually happen then. I think uh, hurricanes washed a lot, blew a lot of them away. But, um, <laughs> no, I just think there's, there's a real sort of, there was a, a body of work that he put together, Andrew Geller, um, that I just thought was really, it was important to me to see when I first found his book and these things about 10 years ago. And I still think about it a lot. Well, um, Nick, thank you so much for joining me. Um, it's been great to get an insight onto North um, North Perth House uh, and really look forward to seeing some designs developed for, for your own home as well. <laughs> um, but thanks for joining. Thank you, George. It's been great. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you'd like to find out more about Nick Brunston, then please visit our website at anotherarchitecturepodcast.com, where you will find links to his work. And try out the podcast Instagram to see work of all my guests and get sneak previews of upcoming interviews. If you enjoyed this episode, then please tell your friends. And if you can, give me a review on iTunes or whichever platform you are listening on, as it's a great way to help other people find the podcast. I look forward to you joining me for the next episode. Thanks again for listening. Thanks again for listening.